Well, good morning. I invite you to uh, turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. That's where we'll be this morning, looking at verses 1 through 13. After hearing George uh, just a couple of weeks ago reference this, uh, this passage, 1 Corinthians 10, I-, I knew right away that I wanted to preach this text come this Sunday. I thought, what a great thing for us to, uh, as we're studying through the book of Exodus, then to uh, look at, at a fuller understanding of how Exodus is connected to 1 Corinthians, is connected to our New Testaments, and other places, even in the Old Testament. And so I began to study this text, and as I began to study, I thought to myself, maybe this isn't the right text for this Sunday. Uh, maybe I've made a, a mistake here. Um, if you've read this passage ahead of time or are remembering this passage, you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about because there are some pretty stiff warnings in this passage. There are some really hard challenges in this passage. And I began to think, wow, during this pandemic, during a Memorial Day weekend when we're, uh, when we're remembering those who have given their lives for our freedom, when we're enjoying maybe family and friends Maybe this isn't the time to, uh, to do something that's a warning and a challenge. Maybe what we need is, is joy. Maybe we need something more, more relaxing. And so I began looking at my Bible thinking, okay, where can I find that? And of course, there's lots of places to find that. I began looking around and then the Lord just arrested my thinking. Because it's never good for us to have an idea in our head of what we want to hear and then go to our Bibles and try to find that what's important for us to do instead is to to trust God's word completely to 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 read what it says knowing that this is what God has for us and so that's what I want to do this morning I want to I want us to trust God with this passage that this is the passage that he has for us this morning certainly we'll see God had a message for the Israelites We'll see that, and, and we've known that from the book of Exodus, our study then. And certainly, God had a message for these Corinthian believers here at this, at this church. And I would say that God has a message for us this morning. And I would add this one more thing before we read the passage. If you think you don't need this, if you think that you don't need this message, that somebody else needs this message, then I would tell you, this message is for you. In fact, if you are one out there thinking, this, isn't, this probably isn't for me, I would say, no, that's the main point that Paul's going to make, that this, is the, this message is needed for those who think they don't need it. Let's read uh, together 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning at verse 1. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples to us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. 
We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overcome you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Brothers and sisters, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great privilege we have to sit under your word, and we do that on purpose this morning. We submit ourselves to what you have to say to us, and we would ask that you would speak to us, that you would open up uh, our minds, open up our hearts to receive what you have for us. Father, teach us, for your servants are listening. We make this prayer in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Now, I know that we're very familiar on Sunday mornings in our study of Exodus for many, many weeks. We're familiar with the context of Exodus. But now as we look at a fuller picture of how uh, God's word is connected in all different places, it's important for us to be reminded of, our, of the context of, of the book of Corinthians. Uh, you'll remember that the city of Corinth was this great metropolitan city that was dominated both culturally and geographically by pagan worship. Uh, the, the, the great hill of Aphrodite, great temple of Aphrodite on a hill overlooking uh, the city uh, dominated the landscape and it certainly dominated the culture. Nevertheless, nevertheless, Paul had come there as a missionary. He had brought the gospel and the Holy Spirit did a miraculous work and people were saved. And as they were saved, they, they formed uh, this church and they delighted in the great blessings, the, the baptism they received in Christ, uh, the participation in the Lord's Supper. And, and more and more, Paul taught them about their freedom in Christ. And they delighted, the Corinthian church delighted in their freedom. Only that delight began to turn in their sinfulness to a presumption. They began to presume upon their freedom in Christ. And they began to be tempted or remain tempted by the culture around them. And one of the things, one of the specific examples of this uh, there in the, in the letter to the Corinthians was the fact that in the city, it was a, it was a big deal. It was, it was just what you did to go to the temples and participate in these pagan meals, these pagan celebrations. And the Corinthian, uh, these Corinthian believers just thought, well, you know what? I'm free in Christ and idols aren't real. I can just go do that. It's not going to affect me. I mean, I just need to participate with my neighbors in these things, but it doesn't really affect me because those things aren't real. Well, we don't have <laughs> pagan temples in, uh, in Memphis, um, but what we do have, we do have is we do have our own temptations, our own cultural temptations around us. And could it be at times then we, we think our freedom in Christ is, is so solid that we can toy around with things that we ought not to toy around with? And here the, uh, the Corinthians are being challenged by Paul. He has four things to say to them. And I think the Lord has four things to say to us this morning as well. And those four things from this text are this. We're to be reminded. We're to be warned. 
We're to be careful and we're to be encouraged. First of all, we're to be reminded. Verses 1 through 5, Paul reminds uh, the Corinthian believers that what the Israelites had experienced uh, there in the desert, in their wanderings. And we've been looking at that beginning in Exodus 13 as, as the Israelites left Egypt. Uh, we began to see uh, what they experienced. And, and Paul reminds these Corinthians, remember that, that all of your fathers, and that's, boy, that's a powerful statement for these Gentile believers, connecting the congregation there at the Corinthian church with the great congregation of the Israelites there in the deserts and saying, you're connected with them. Those are the same things. He said, you remember that they experienced the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. You remember that they experienced going through uh, the Red Sea, the miraculous salvation that God had from them. They experienced that. You remember that, that, they, that they experienced the baptism into Moses. And we, we don't want to be too confused by that. Um, Paul had ta- spoken earlier to the Corinthians about their baptism into Christ. And while we understand that that involves the sprinkling of water, we also understand that it's more than just a symbol. It actually is something that, that takes place where we are coming under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And so they were baptized in the Old Testament into the, uh, the leadership uh, of Moses. He was leading them. They were all under that leadership. And they all had manna. And they all had water from the rock. And this was spiritual food and spiritual drink because it was supernatural. They called the bread, bread from heaven. And all of them, all the Israelites, no matter what, they all had those privileges. And Paul is saying to the Corinthian church, similar to you all, Corinthians, you all have those privileges. You all have this baptism. You all are participating in this church. You you all have the Lord's Supper experiencing this this spiritual meal which gives you grace. And then he says at the end of verse 5, but remember, many were overthrown in the desert. Many never made it to the promised land. We too need to remember that even as we go through Exodus, even as we look at this this morning. We need to remember that it's not just history. It is history. Those aren't allegories. Those aren't parables that we're reading in Exodus. Those things actually happened. But it's not just history. It was significant. God was teaching his people something both then and here in Corinthians and to us this morning here in Memphis. And so we need to be reminded about what took place there and be reminded of what happened even as they experienced all those great privileges. And then in verse 6 through 11, Paul says, I want you to be warned. You'll notice in the text that verse 6 and verse 11 actually create these, these bookends around four examples that are there in the text. And verse 6 and verse 11 are, are, are virtually the same verses. Paul says in verse 6, Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. And then verse 11, it says, Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction. He says these things are examples. What he means, these things are warnings. You remember that they had these privileges, and now I want you to be warned that they presumed upon those privileges in ways that they never should. 
And the significance of this is described there in verse 6 because this is the core. The core of it is right there at the end of verse 6. It says that we might not desire evil as they did. The core of it is our, our desires. In other places, Paul puts it this way. The core of it is our hearts. Everything begins with our hearts. One of my favorite favorite books over the last uh, few years is one that was actually introduced to me by Barton Kimbrough. And the book is by James K.A. Smith, and the book is called You Are What You Love. And the book is primarily about worship. What does it mean as a believer to worship? How do we craft our worship personally and corporately? But I love that the title is You Are What You Love, that it begins with your hearts. And there's a warning in that book about your hearts. That the problem is not forms of worship. The problem is not styles. The problem is not, uh, uh, you know, busyness and schedules, although that's the outcome of it. The, the core of it, the beginning part, is our hearts. What is it that we're desiring? Certainly God was, was trying to teach the Israelites there in the desert something about their hearts, about what they desired. Certainly here in, in, in the letter to the Corinthians, Paul is saying to those at Corinth, you have evil desires. You're, there's something off about your heart. And certainly the Lord wants us this morning to check our own hearts. Because it is true, like the book said, you are what you love. And then he goes on and he gives these four examples from uh, the Israelites there in, in the desert. Their experiences, they were traveling from Egypt to the promised land. The first one he gives is of, of idolatry. He said, don't, uh, don't be idolaters like they were. Don't be those who, who set up other gods. And this is a direct reference to Exodus chapter 32. We haven't gotten there yet, but we will get there. Uh, but you remember the story in Exodus 32. Moses has been gone for a long time. People are getting restless as they seem to do almost every time. Uh, they have to wait in any, any manner. And they go to Aaron and they say, we need, we need something to worship. And so foolishly, Aaron gathers up the gold and he puts it into this fire to melt it down. And as he, as he says it, as he explains it to Moses, he said, I don't know what happened, but I threw the gold in and boom, out popped a golden calf, which of course is absolutely ridiculous. And I don't know how Moses kept a straight face when Aaron said that other than he was pretty ticked off at what was taking place. Nevertheless, this is what took place. They, they began to worship this golden calf and bow down to this golden calf in direct defiance of God's call on their lives first of all to have no other god before them we've been studying this on on sunday nights no other god before them and also to not worship anything that's been made the first two commandments and here they are choosing another god and worshiping something that they've made now we look at that and say that's that's ridiculous i remember uh you know looking at uh the movie uh, the Ten Commandments and watching this scene in the Ten Commandments and thinking that is so dumb I would have never done that if I were an Israelite that would that's an obvious way to not follow God I would I would get that one but we don't have idols like golden calves set up around Memphis but 
Anything we love more than God, according to Scripture, is an idol. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, what do I love more than God? And during this time of the pandemic, I think some of those things have been exposed. They've certainly been exposed in my life. What do I love more than God? Do, do I love financial security more than God? Is that more important to me? Are my plans, my schedule, the things I wanted to do, my pleasures, are those things more important to me than God? Do I love my safety more than I love my Savior? Do I love sex? Do I love pleasure? Do I love my friends? Do I put any of those things before God at any point? At any point that I do that, I am an idolater. I am, I am worshiping. I'm giving my heart to something that is not God. And just like Exodus 32, I am bowing down to the golden calf of my making. First example that Paul gives, the second example he gives from Numbers chapter 25 is sexual immorality. And it is true, isn't it, that, that sexual immorality or any kind of immorality, certainly sexual immorality, but any kind of immorality, any kind of immoral behavior naturally follows idolatry. If you've set your heart on something and, and, and now you are, you are giving yourself fully to that thing that isn't God, that thing that, that, that is earthly, that, that uh, is created instead of the creator, if you're giving your heart to that, it's going to follow that it's eventually going to lead to immorality. And we don't need a, a translation for us here in culture. We would, we would see very clearly that sexual immorality has, has just run rampant among our, in our world in such a way that it's causing damage everywhere. It's causing damage uh, all over the world. It's causing damage and and gross abuse among those who are most vulnerable. It's causing damage in our own homes. It's causing damage in our relationships. It's causing damage in our marriage. It's causing damage in our own hearts. When we choose to take something that God has given us that is absolutely beautiful and we decide that we're going to use it the way we want to, then it becomes something that's just destroyed. So instead of seeing the beauty of what God has given us between a man and a woman in marriage, instead we take it and say, no, I want my own freedom to do whatever I want to with it. And it has only ended in self-destruction and great, great abuse. The third example that's given here from uh, this in this text and refers to a, a moment in Numbers chapter 21 is testing God. And we've even seen that a little bit here in our study of Exodus as well. And the idea of testing God is this idea of, of, of pushing God to the very edge and seeing how far we can get and have him still be okay with us. So it's the idea of testing God is the whole how far is too far. You know, how, how far can I go in my physical relationship with my boyfriend, my girlfriend, and, and I'm still a Christian, it's still okay. You know, how, 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 little, how little can I give and still be considered generous by God? Uh, how much can I go to the edge of this 
particular area and still, you know, still be considered a Christian? How much can I presume upon the grace of God and he will still forgive me? Now hear me clearly. The forgiveness of God is absolutely amazing. And Isaiah tells us that he has provided double for all our sins. I'm not speaking about God's perspective of his grace towards us. I'm speaking about our perspective towards his grace. Are we presuming upon the grace of God and we just saying, you know what? Let me test God and see how much I can sin and still have him forgive me. Just abusing that grace. And then the fourth example that's given here, fourth example is grumbling. And if you're like me, you're thinking, I'm not sure this one fits. I get idolatry, sexual immorality, testing God. That, those sound bad. Grumbling? I'm supposed to accept that grumbling is, is, it belongs in this list? Well, let's, let's understand a little bit what this grumbling was. And we have looked at it in the past few weeks in our study of Exodus. This grumbling was more than just what we see in, in the Psalms when, when we're actually instructed or we're, we're instructed by the way the psalmist did it with God when, when they lamented, when they went to God with their, with, with their heartaches and they said, God, why? why? Why is this happening? Why is this happening? Going with questions to God. Now that's not grumbling. Grumbling here has to do with not being content with what God has given you. In fact, a dissatisfaction with what God has given you and saying, you know what, I don't like what you gave me, God, and you need to do better. And this is the grumbling we've seen in Exodus. And each time in each of these examples, in idolatry, sexual immorality, testing God, grumbling, in every place there was, as we read about it in Numbers and Exodus, there was this intense judgment and discipline from a holy God who is wanting to make it clear to his people that, that they cannot live this way. That, that, that this, will, this will destroy them. And that this goes completely against the purity and the holiness of God. And this is a good word. This warning is a good word for these Corinthians. These Corinthians who thought, gosh, I'm, I'm free in Christ. I'm secure. God's going to take care of me so I can go to the pagan temples. I can be part of that party. I can be involved in those things because it's going to be okay. I'm free in Christ. God's going to forgive me. Listen, I've, I've been baptized and I'll be at communion this coming Sunday night. And, you know, I, you know I'm part of that church. I'm a member. So I'm, I'm, I'm good. This, this is a good warning for these Corinthians. It's a good warning about how they were using their freedom. It's a good warning for them about their hearts, about their presumption. And brothers and sisters, it's a good warning for us. It's a good word for us this morning. What are we doing with the freedom that we have in Christ? We are to be reminded. We are to be warned. And then in verse 12, we are to be careful this is kind of the culmination of the, of the a whole passage here. He says, Therefore, if any, let anyone who thinks he stand take heed, lest he fall. Paul basically says this, You don't think it could ever be you? You better be careful, it's you. <laughs> and I have to confess to you, I was kind of caught in that this week. It's easy when you're a Sunday school teacher or a pastor to be looking at a passage and going, wow, this is, this is really good. Our people really need this. I, you know, 
Our church family really needs this. They need to hear these things. This is for them. This, this is what they need. And boy, the Lord arrested my heart on Friday and said, Todd, it's what you need. You, you've been studying this week, Todd, as if you don't need this word, as if this wasn't for you. And the whole point of verse 12 is that. Anyone who thinks he stands, anyone who thinks he doesn't need this, she doesn't need this, it's for you. you Todd, you don't think you need this? Well, it's for you. These words are for you. This past, this past week, uh, Lynn and I celebrated our 30, uh, 32nd wedding anniversary. 32 years. It's a long time. I, 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 never, uh, I never, well, let me just say this. When we first got married, we were so young, we had no clue what we were doing. We had no clue that we had no clue. That's how little of a clue we actually had about being married. And over the years, uh, it has been beautiful to see what God has done. It has not been an easy journey. Anybody who, anybody who knows me would say, yeah, Todd, being married to you would not be an easy journey. Lynn and I have had to go through tough times together. We have been on the brink of fracture in our marriage. We, uh, we have gone to counseling a lot. We still go to counseling a lot. Um, 32 years. And you know what? This week, we celebrated the blessing of, a, of our marriage. We, we really love each other. We really enjoy each other. One of our children even said that this week. He said, boy, I can really tell. I can really tell that you love each other. And Lynn and I thought, yeah, we do. And we've been married 32 years. And we've gone through tough times. And, and we've done it. We've secured for 32 years. Now, would it be okay? Now, you counsel me. Would it be okay because we've had 32 years of great marriage, working hard at it. We really love each other. We've really learned. Would it be okay for us now to just kind of chill a little bit, relax? Be okay for us not to be careful? Be okay to just go, you know what? I'm going to, uh, it's, it's fine. We're good. We've got 32 years of history. Got all that counseling. Got all, I don't need to worry about falling in my marriage. I don't need to worry about any kind of temptation. I don't need to worry about uh, any divorce. I don't need to worry about, you know, uh, uh, being involved in any kind of relationship outside my marriage. I'm, I'm safe. I'm safe from all those temptations. I'm secure from all those things. No, I, I think, <laughs> I think you, you would say quickly, Todd, you're a fool. You're a fool if you think you, you get to 32 years of marriage and do all that and, and you're just good to go. You don't need to be careful anymore. You don't need to watch out. You say that, that's crazy. We need to do that in our spiritual lives as well. We need to make sure that we're careful and we're not careless. As one pastor put it, self-confidence and self-reliance are deadly for a Christian. Deadly. Or as Paul put it in many places in his epistles, be careful then how you live. And it always followed an explanation of, of, of God's grace. Here's what God has done for you. Here's how he's forgiven you. Here's how he's blessed you. Here's how he's provided for you. And then it doesn't say, so go out and not worry about a thing. Do whatever you want. No, then Paul would say, be careful how you live. It, it all matters. Every thought matters. Every action matters. 
I came across or was reminded again of one of my favorite quotes from Ralph Waldo uh, (laughs) Emerson. Um, I know the quote better than the name. Here's what he says. You've heard this before too. Sow a thought and you reap an act. Sow an act and you reap a habit. Sow a habit and you reap a character. Sow a character and you reap a destiny. It all matters. We need to be careful, not care less. We need to take seriously this idea of presumption, of self-reliance, of self-confidence. Well, isn't it wonderful that there is one more point? Because if God's word just left us with this reminder of all these judgments in the Old Testament, if God's word just left us with just a warning of an impending doom and judgment, or if God's word just left us with this, you better be careful, every thought, every action, you better be careful. If God just left this, it would be discouraging. It would be, you'd be walk out and think, gosh, how am I going to make it? But you see, the last thing there in verse 13 is to be encouraged. To be encouraged. Because right there in verse 13, we see the grace. We see that God always has a provision for us. You see, we're faithless. We're, we're fickle. We're, we waver back and forth. We're we're those who are easily swayed by anything, even this week, easily, easily moved. And yet, what does it say there in verse 13? God is faithful. Other places in Paul's epistle, he says over and over again, you're faithless, you've struggled, but God is faithful. God will be the one that will do this work. God, in the midst of our faithlessness, is constant, he's immutable, he's unchanging. And he says, this is how he's going to be faithful to you in your wavering, in your temptation. He says, first of all, he's not going to let you be tempted beyond your ability. You're not going to be be tempted in a way that isn't common to human beings. There's not going to be some kind of uh, supernatural tempting that is beyond what he's given us through the power of the Holy Spirit uh, to, to react to. And that's the grace he's provided. The grace he provides is repentance. There's also a grace he provides in resisting temptation. And over and over again, it talks about our ability in Christ. Because we've been baptized into Christ, we can resist temptation. We do have the ability to be careful. We do have the ability to to respond to the things that come our way, that want to draw away our hearts the things that, that, that grab our eyes. There's, there's, a, there's a way that God has provided. And it says that. It says, He will always provide a way of escape. God will provide the way of escape. The, the literal, uh, in the Hebrew here, the literal idea is to be kind of backed into a mountain pass and the enemy is pressing in against you as you're, as you're there in the mountain pass and you look around and you think, I'm trapped. I'm completely trapped. And then a way is opened up to you. One path 
through the mountains just for you to get out. That's that's what God does. We're the ones caught in our own temptation, caught in our own evil desires. And God in his grace, it says, God's word says it's a promise. The promise you can take every day, pick up every day. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you, uh, what you can bear, your ability. And he will always provide a way out. He'll always provide a way of escape. You see, what God calls us to in, in, our, in our daily walk with him is, is not just to say no. As one pastor put it, uh, just say no is a terrible, terrible way to go about living the Christian life. It's, it's, a, it's a terrible discipleship ethic because you're, you're going to just build up desire still in that direction. No, it's to take the way that God has given. It's not just to say no. It is to say no, but it is actually to say no and turn towards the way that God has given and to take that way, to take the way of cultivating a new affection. So your heart's desire is in this direction and you are trapped, but God has provided a way out to cultivate our hearts towards him. And we can take that way You see, brothers and sisters, that's what God was doing in the desert. He was was cultivating the hearts of the Israelites towards him. And we'll see that next week and the following week. And every week we're in Exodus. God is cultivating the Israelites' hearts towards him. Even as Sunday after Sunday, morning and evening, God cultivates our hearts towards him in a great mercy and grace that he brings. So I would say to us, even as it's taking place with the Israelites, brothers and sisters, in the midst of this pandemic, God is doing the same thing to us. God is cultivating our hearts towards him, even now. I don't, I don't know what you've experienced. I, I have some idea because you share it with me and we, we pray together, we talk together. I certainly know what I've experienced, but it's opened up our eyes, hasn't it? It's opened up our eyes to a lot of things about our heart's desires and revealed to us ways in which we set other things before the Lord. It's maybe revealed to us some of our presuming upon God's grace. And God in his wonderful mercy and grace in his faithfulness is cultivating our hearts towards him because he loves us because he's faithful because we belong to him would you pray with me heavenly father thank you thank you for blessing us with your word Thank you that no matter where we turn in your word and no matter what day it is, no matter what time in our life, that if we submit ourselves to the living word of God and we hear your voice through the work of the Holy Spirit, you will speak to us. And in doing that day after day, Sunday after Sunday, morning and evening, you are cultivating our hearts towards you. Oh, Father, continue to do that work. Thank you for being faithful. Help us in our weakness. Lord, always show us that way out that we might move towards you. We pray this in Jesus' name.
And all God's people said, amen.